Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 310 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So I'm really excited about this today. I feel like I should I should be like sending you a thank you card or something. You are going to help me today. Oh, I am planning on giving like showing you the ropes, giving you the initiation, um, the hazing, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Pretty excited that you're joining this club. I am very excited to be joining the club of parents of teenagers. So uh, the day we record this, I have one week left with a 12-year-old who turns 13 on the 29th of April. The day that listeners are probably hearing this, it will be just a couple of days away. Or maybe you're listening a couple of days late and it actually is my day. So I do feel like there should be like something ceremonial, like, you know, cloaks and and uh, candles or something. Well, cloaks sounds a little creepy, but what I think <laughs> would be really cool is if, you know, somehow, like what would be the podcast equivalent of like confetti? Like virtual confetti coming down if I type like, you're a mom to a teenager now. Um, I love it. Well, you know, we have trusty Brian, our sound engineer, not my husband, Brian, who sometimes inserts fun sounds. So if you heard one of those just now, yeah, there you go. (laughs) It's because we figured it out, right? And you know, Sarah, that I have been the mom now of four teenagers and have my, my very youngest baby is like closing in. So I've got a lot of background with this. You do. You do. And so today is all about basically Megan welcoming and initiating me into the land of teenage parenting. Um, But we're going to keep it fun and I think really relevant for our listeners of younger kids as well, because who doesn't like to kind of look ahead at this phase and kind of um, we're going to poke into some myths about teenagers. And you're going to tell me if like the things I've heard are true or not true or sometimes true. Um, So that'll be fun. But I just on a personal note, I am so glad that I have been kind of shadowing you for I don't know, we've been working together for almost 10 years. We've been podcasting actively and talking about parenting together for over six. And I just feel like from the very beginning, I've been kind of watching um, not just like not necessarily like how Megan is as a parent of teenagers, but more you've always just seemed to have a respect for teenagers and almost like 
come to their defense a little bit um, when maybe they're maligned in the media. So I have been, I just feel glad that I have been a side witness to that um, now that I'm joining the club myself. I love this. I never thought of being a, you know, the parent to a teenager with a a parent to younger kids as a job shadowing situation. But I think you're (laughs) right that like you can learn a lot. And sometimes like what you hear out there is so, so negative about teenagers. And, and with that negativity and those stereotypes can come assumptions like, oh man, when this phase happens, X, my life is going to look like this, or my root, my, my relationship with my kids will be ruined or they're going to go away from me and never come back or be really sullen or whatever, or be rebellious. Like, and sometimes that is true. Like all stereotypes have a, have a basis in truth. That's where they come from. But sometimes really digging into those generalizations starts to become less helpful and then less true. And over time, it's just unfair. It's unfair to teenagers who are cool human beings in their Mm -hmm. own right. But it's also unfair to us as moms, because then we kind of go in like, and like we're all clenched up anticipating this horrible experience and it doesn't always have to be that way. So some of those stereotypes may be accurate to some degree for some kids, but they're not probably all going to be accurate for your kid. And they're definitely not all accurate for all kids. So I just think it's always good, especially because I've had so many teenagers. Um, I feel like it's really helped me as a mom to just be able to say, oh, this, this is what this one did. And this is what that one did. And it wasn't all because of me and it's not inevitable. It's so much of it is like their inborn personality and then how I react to that personality that really yeah. matters. Yeah. I love that. And it reminds me too of when I had like a newborn or a zero to six month old and had so much control over just their eating, their pooping, their sleeping, like that was it. And I remember seeing like three-year-olds, two and a half, three-year-olds and just feeling like, I'm not sure I want that. Like they're just so messy and like, unpredictable. And, and in my mind, that was like as foreign to me as like what a teenager would be to our listeners who have young kids. But the thing is like your baby grows into that messy three-year-old and you, you love them because they are, they're still that same person. I know that's very cliche, but it's like, you're not, I'm, I don't have to take on your four teenage boys. Like I have my own teenager who is still the same child and person. Um, so I think that's always a helpful reminder too, when you're when you're looking at it from the outside and thinking, yeah. like, gosh, that seems awkward and hard and weird. And yeah, well, it will be, but yeah. it will still be your kid. Like it's still yes. the one that's, yeah, yeah. It's like when you're on the playground and you've got a toddler and you look at the three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and they look like monsters yeah. who all want to crush your baby. Yeah. Um, but you forget that at some point your baby will be the monster, but they won't be a monster to you anymore. It's like, yes. it's like when I was nursing a six month old, I couldn't imagine nursing a 12 month old, but that baby becomes a 12 month old. And so exactly. it's just, and then it doesn't seem so strange anymore. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's your, your child becoming these things will seem a lot less foreign than looking at it in a movie or something. I totally, totally agree. Um, so how a lot of today is going to be me lobbing questions and some kind of like stereotypes or generalizations about teenagers at you and you just sharing from your own personal experience. So this is going to be fun. And I just thought we could start with tying the the teenage years to some other younger phases and stages that maybe our listeners have gone through or are going through. So I would love for you to talk about the differences and the similarities, if there are any between the teenage developmental stage and then the other big ones that come, like I'm thinking like, you know, first adjusting to a newborn or like 
your right. first kid going off to kindergarten. There's other big milestones that come, but what's same or different about the teenage milestones? Well, I know we're going to dig into specifics later, so I'm just going to keep this really general for now. And I'm going to say that where it's similar is that some of the changes are immediate and marked by some event, right? So for a little one, that might be they learn to walk or they go to preschool. And for a teenager, it's like they got their first period or they started driver's ed, right? So those are like, there's like a landmark. You, yeah. you know, it, it happened, right? But then there's other changes that happen really gradually and you don't really even notice them until they're already, they've happened, right? So mm -hmm. one that came to mind is, um, you know, when you, that feeling when you had, maybe like a three or four or even a young five-year-old and you look at them one day and you realize that their faces have changed. Like yeah. their, their round little baby cheeks. Um, suddenly they have bone structure. Like yeah. little babies don't really have bone structure. You can't see it. And suddenly you're like, Oh, you're a kid. That totally happens again with teenagers. Only they go from their like kid face, like their bone structure changes again. It's like really, or like they get leg hair, like just mm -hmm. things like that, that you don't see happening until suddenly you look at your, you know, 14 year old son and he's got like long, thick, dark, curly leg hair. And you're like, well, well when, <laughs> okay, that's weird. Um, or like things that are a little more, uh, behavior based, like snuggling, like that tends to kind of go away kind of gradually. Um, yeah. and sometimes that goes away gradually with little kids. And then it goes again, away again, gradually with teenagers. And it's not that they're snuggling the same way. Um, you know, when you've got a two-year-old who's climbing all over you and will never give you any space at all. And then one day you're like, oh, when was the last time they asked to sit in my lap or mm -hmm. asked to nurse to sleep or whatever it is. And then with a teenager, it's more like they still are kind of touchy with you. And then suddenly they're kind of actively uh, like they, you can see their hackles rise when you get too mm. close and it's not that they hate you. It's just that your touch is no longer welcome in the same way necessarily. And not, of course, not all kids, but there, that is definitely one of those things that happens gradually. And you don't even know it was like the last first or the first last right. or whatever. It's like, it's just over. And, um, so that's similar. Uh, those are the similarities. I think what's really different with teenagers is that a lot of the changes happen internally inside the child. And they just aren't broadcast in the same way as with younger kids. So little kids can be so on the surface um, and we spend so much time with them mm -hmm. that we really notice, like if their naps are off or um, if they're, if they're having an angry day or if they're yeah. brooding about something, it's hard to miss that in a little kid that you're spending a lot of time with. Even little kids who are more reserved, you just kind of pick up on, they're, they're not hiding anything from you. They mm -hmm. haven't learned how to do that yet. But teenagers can be really quiet and private about what's happening with them. And they can really fly under the radar, especially if they're more shy or reserved. So I think that that internal way that they go through changes, because part of they, they're, they're turning into adults, right? They're mm -hmm. learning that this stuff isn't all for public consumption. A lot of it's, they have an inner life that's very yeah. different than little kids do. Um, and sometimes you really have to look for it. And that's definitely a difference between teens and younger kids. Yeah. I can see how too, that some teenagers probably are a little more self-aware. Like, like you've joked about Will saying like, I'm going through changes, mom. Like I'm going right. through puberty. Like they actually know that, that they are aware that they, that their behavior, their emotions, 
you know, lots of things are changing, which may maybe makes them more more interested in hiding it or just not interested in having it pointed out because it's yes. like, you know, when women get PMS, like we might know that we have PMS, but we don't want somebody to say like, oh, right, <laughs> you're right. PMSing today. <laughs> like, that's not a good idea. Well, and I think that we're, there's a self-consciousness that like a two-year-old simply most, unless it's a pretty unique two-year-old, they really just don't have. They don't care yeah. what you think. They're just going to do what they're going to do. They're like little balls of um, reaction. And teens have really learned to be self-conscious and a little, I mean, all children are by necessity fairly self-involved, but it's very different in a teenager. It's, it's, um, it's like they're, they're bridging that gap between being a kid and being an adult and trying to figure out how to do it. And um, there's just a lot of awkwardness and like inwardness that goes along with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I love it. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much, they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out, <laughs> and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. All right, Megan, are you ready? I feel like I'm going to start throwing things at you. Not literally. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, I think I'm ready for this. Okay. Well, I just made a list of some things I've heard about teenagers or that I think are kind of word on the street generalizations. And I'm super interested. Like you said, you've had four your youngest teenager is 15, right? Owen's 15. He is 15. Yeah. So you're not yep. even like, I mean, four of them are well into teenage years yep. and then Clara coming in. So I'm going to just go ahead and call you a subject matter expert here. Um, All right. 
I'll take so it. The, the first uh, sort of thing I thought of is that teenagers hate their family or hate spending time with the family. So tell me how this has played out with yours. Um, I think that that is mostly untrue. Where I think that myth has taken root is that they really want it on their own terms. And that can be really hard to adjust to as a mom, especially of a more fledgling teenager where you're used to them just cheerfully going along with everything you want to do because that's what they've always done. Or even if they didn't cheerfully go along, they went along because they kind of had to. They had now to. Sudden, yeah. yeah, they had to. And now suddenly things have changed. Like, you know, the precedent has been set that they can stay home alone if that's how you've done things in your family. So you can't like pretend like that's not the case anymore. Like <laughs> when it was convenient for you, you could go to the store without them. But now that they want to stay home and you want to bring them to like, you know, grandma's house or whatever. Um, they don't always want to do it. And now the jig is up. Now they know it's possible <laughs> for them to be home, right? So like suddenly there's this burgeoning logic and feeling of independence and wanting to do what they want to do. And it's very new that actually that's an option and that mm -hmm. they believe it to be an option. And that can create some power struggles for sure. This is feeling a little like two and three-year-olds to me, right? Mm -hmm. But like, it's very much like that. I want, they, my kids all want to spend time with me. In fact, sometimes I will find them weirdly following me around or like <laughs> seeking me out, but it's usually when they, they want it on their terms. And, and I have to say too, I remember the same thing when I was a teenager, like I loved hanging out with my parents, but I didn't necessarily want to hang out with my parents at three o'clock on a Saturday when they want, like wanted me to go walk in a nature trail with them. Right. And I wanted to be hanging out with my friends. Um, so I just think that it's not, they don't hate their families for the most part. And I don't think they hate spending time with their families. I actually think that they really crave it. I just think that they start to get resentful about not having control or the, mm -hmm. what they perceive as illogic, like illogical stances on mom and dad's part mm -hmm. to force them to do stuff that they really don't care to do. And they start fighting back against that. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't seem just to them. And they are also self-actualizing and becoming their own people. And they're like, no, trust me, I've got better stuff to do right now. And maybe sometimes that's true. Like sometimes I think I can be, especially because I have so many kids, I can be kind of like, I go into this, um, let's just do this. Could everyone please just get on board mode? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's really necessary when it's like, we just have to clean the house before company comes or we just have to get this thing. We just have to get the trash to the curb before the, the collectors come. Then that, that mode of like, let's just do it because it has to get done makes sense. But when it's truly just something I want to do and I'm trying yeah. to rope them in because I don't want to be the one parent who shows up without their teenagers and maybe people are like, oh, so, you know, why didn't Will come or whatever? Like all that stuff happens. And sometimes I have to reexamine my motives and realize that like they're actually not wrong. Yeah. I don't need yeah. them on this, on this excursion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's so interesting. I was a teenager who I think was acted like I hated to be with my family. I was kind of grumpy. I, we've talked about this yeah. in many episodes. Um, but looking back, someone asked this in the Facebook group and I left a long, like kind of personal comment on it recently, but I'm really glad that there were still expectations that I still, I still went on all the excursions and I right. was expected to show up for the dinners and stuff. And I, you know, I feel badly that I didn't act like I liked it and I probably had an attitude about it, but 
in retrospect, I'm grateful that I didn't have a permanent out because I really would have probably stayed in my room, talked on the phone to my friends. And as I got older, like gone, hung out with my boyfriend or my best friends. And so I, I am glad that I was quote unquote forced. And I think that was the question in the group is like, do you force the kid to hang out with the family? And what I'm hearing you say is like, maybe sometimes, probably not all the right. time. And it depends. Um, but looking back for myself, I'm glad that, that my family didn't like throw their hands. Give you up. an out. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I was pretty miserable to be around some of the time. I don't think I, I, I think I kept up with the attitude even when I was at the thing, wherever I was supposed to be, but I'm glad that they made me be there anyway. Well, and I think that's a really good distinction, Sarah, because I do think if you always say, well, if, if it starts to become, they're just a pill and I don't want to be around them. Does anyone say that anymore? They're just a uh, pill. My, in my family, we do. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a, if that's, if, if that becomes the, it still has to be about what is the right thing for the family unit and the right thing for this kid. So if it's like, I don't want to take them because they're just, they're just such a pill that they're no fun to be around and it's easier not to take them. Then you're kind of creating like a self, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy because they know the bigger, it's the manipulation thing that we all like to believe three-year-olds can't do, but yet sometimes it works. Like if they throw the fit, they get the thing. Yeah. If the yeah. teenager it's terrible to be around. They get what they really want, um, which is to no one wants to be around them. And yeah. that's not a good pattern to get into either. I think what I'm talking about, though, is like, you know, sometimes I can be a little um, spontaneous, like overly spontaneous and yeah. assume that like everyone else is going to be able to fit themselves into my plans. And, and Will and I in particular, he's got such a an active social life that we had to have like a couple like meetings about this where I was like, I don't want every time I want to do something with you or to include you in something that you've got some better plan. And he said, well, mom, you usually throw it at me at the last minute. And then I realized that was totally true because none of the rest of the siblings have as active a social life. So right. when I throw something at them, they just are available. And so we kind of had to work it out where I give him a certain lead time and he gives me nights, for, you know, like ahead of time that yeah. he'll just make himself available. And he, you know, good old reliable William, he sticks to that. So yeah. there's a level of trust there. Like I know that if he tells me he will make himself available for a family hang on Saturday night and he will ask me before he schedules something, then that's true. So then yeah. I have to hold up my end of the bargain. He's 17. Like I have to hold up my end of the bargain, which is I won't just at the last minute be like, hey, we're all going over to, you know, the aunt and uncle's house um, and you have to go. Right. And I didn't yeah. run it by him first. So there's just like a mutual respect there. And um, that doesn't mean that the kids never, quote, have to, unquote, do something they don't want to do. But it's more like I don't want to create a dynamic in either extreme. Yes, totally. Where they're off the hook all the time or like unfairly on the hook all the time. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to link to the couple of things you you wrote that beautiful newsletter essay about Will showing you the door that was so good. Oh, yes. And then you yeah. wrote again and on Instagram. Um, with that picture of you guys on the rock. So I feel like now we're building oh, yeah. a little, a little library of teenager essays featuring yeah. William. Don't tell him. No, I'm just kidding. I won't because, well, <laughs> he might love it and hate it at the same time. Who knows? Okay. So the next thing I want you to talk about is just huge mood swings. And I think this is terrifying for parents who don't have teenagers yet because the teenage years are technically from 13 to 19, right? Or like 13 till they're out of your house. So that feels yeah. like a very long time to have huge mood swings. So how can we think about that? Well, he, okay. Here's what I will say. In my experience, I am not, you know, again, 
I'm actually not a parenting expert or like a child development specialist, but I just, I've had four and one coming into it. And I think sometimes it starts really early. And I have heard with girls, a lot of the stuff, they're just more precocious about um, mood swings. And a lot of the, a lot of the emotional aspects of adolescence tend to start happening a little earlier with girls. So here's what I will say. Um, yes, huge mood swings. That is a thing. I don't think they happen as outwardly dramatically as it might seem like, uh, screaming matches with your, you know, 13 year old, things like that. Like those aren't things that have happened in my house. I do realize I have other young teen, like one young teen and another preteen coming up and maybe that will change, but that Mm -hmm. so far has not been my experience. Um, the huge mood swings in my house have looked more like, uh, resistance and disappearing. Like that's how I'd put it. Like just like getting really quiet or, or being very stubborn, um, a little more passive aggressive. Mm. We're not the kind of family where people yell a lot. I have a yelly mom voice, but like we're mostly polite and kind to each other, which is great. But sometimes I think it masks like when people really don't feel like it. So that's just a, not to say there's anything wrong with being kind of a polite, quiet family, but that, you know, we're, we're, we're funny and we all rib and have a great time and it's like raucous, but we're not a yelly. We're not a, uh, we don't have fights. That's not how we do. Yeah. yeah we yeah. just don't do that. So, um, sometimes I remember growing up having a few friends who would fight with their moms, like fight, mm-hmm. like all out. And I couldn't handle it. Like I was so uncomfortable, but now part of me looks back and goes, well, maybe they just got it out of the way. I don't yeah. know. Like maybe there was like some other families that seemed quieter and it was more simmering under the surface and actually just extended the life of the fight. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, we all have our own styles of doing things and I can't say what's right or wrong, but I'm just saying, I believe the huge mood swings that have happened in my family with my teenagers have seemed more subtle on the outside. And then probably they take it out on each other brothers. Mm -hmm. They probably Mm -hmm. like punch each other a lot and you know, they're friends and they're stuff. I just, and I don't think that means like, I don't have kids walking around in my house, like simmering with rage at me. I just think that there's a a privacy in the way we express really strong negative emotions Mm -hmm. in my family that, so it just hasn't played out that way in my family. Um, I would also say that in my experience, the period of time where kids have those big mood swings are pretty limited. So your particular child, yeah. yeah. So your particular child might have them from 15 to 16 or from 13 to 14 or whatever, but I haven't had one kid yet who's gone through big mood swings that just last the whole time. Like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's like when the hormones are swinging the most or when they're going through the toughest time, like, um, ninth grade has not been amazing for most of my kids, I would say. And that also coincides with 15. It's hard to say what's the word, what's the thing 15 or ninth grade? I don't know, but I feel like 15 year olds, ninth graders are all miserable in some way. And, um, that doesn't mean that two years later, they're still miserable. So there is an, there's like an end, the shelf life on it. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, I'll just add quickly that, uh, for my, uh, you know, turning 13 year old, a lot of the physical like puberty stuff happened relatively early. So I feel like I got a window into the girl, um, some of the emotional hormonal 
stuff earlier. Yeah. And um, I would characterize it for in our house by <laughs> like spontaneous weeping. And I don't mean spontaneous, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the dinner table, but something a sibling would set her off or something, a little altercation that for a normally very even keeled kids, I could just see the tears brimming, you know, and as a mom, it was like, it was hard not to be like, don't cry about this. Or if not that, like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Like, is something deeper going on? And like, I tried to just really every time be like, it's okay. Sometimes we cry and it doesn't match up. I always tell my kids, like, sometimes the tears don't match up with what just happened. Sometimes tears just need to happen. And it's not something to be self-conscious about, but I definitely have a spontaneous crier in, uh, in my teenager. And, and that was probably more age like 11 maybe, um, because of when, like when she hit physical puberty, but yeah, interesting. Well, Jenna was just telling me that, um, she's, you know, Ruby is 13 and some change now. Um, and it's like in all ways, like a bad a, like she's like tough and you know, she's just like a really tough kid. I don't know how else to put it. She's confident and like takes no prisoners. Right. But she's been kind of weepy. And sometimes Jenna's just like, you don't even know why you're crying, do you? And yeah. Ruby's like, nope. And yeah. she's just crying anyway. And I think normalizing it like that is so helpful because when you're a teenager, you feel so out of control. Um, you, you don't know why things are happening to you. And so for someone who's been there just to say, yep, yeah, this is happening. Like, I know you don't understand why not to like demonize it or buy, you don't have to also buy into drama. You don't have right. to like, overly like embarrassingly sympathize because 13 year olds do not want to be embarrassed by their mom (laughs) trying to like, you know, patch things up for them or fuss over them, but just a simple acknowledgement, like, yeah, okay. You know, this is a thing and just make it normalizing it. I think that, um, really can help. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about, um, smelling bad and okay. There's the smelling bad that comes from like, you know, hormonal changes and like adult bodies. But I also want to ask about like bad hygiene because those are two different things. Like if I didn't have good hygiene, I would smell bad also, but I have learned to take care of myself. So (laughs) talk about the coincide, the coincidence, the coinciding of, you know, becoming smelly, but also perhaps a lack of personal hygiene. Yeah. These two things, I believe, are a little confounding sometimes because they don't link up the way you might always think they would. So like sometimes really young kids can start to stink like earlier than. okay. so, for example, a kid can start to have really bad B.O. before their appearance would make it seem they need nightly showers Mm -hmm. because their hair is not greasy yet, but their armpits stink like there's Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's just like it doesn't always link up completely. And all of my kids, and I remember going through a phase too, have gone through a phase where they're just careless about their hygiene. Either they just don't shower enough or when they do, they're not paying any attention to what they're doing or they're just bad at it. So yeah. like I had to, you know, basically Claire had to kick me out of the kitchen, of the shower because I kept not in the shower, but I kept coming in the bathroom and like trying to check her hair when she was washing it. And so it got to the end. She's very, she's always been really modest, but I got to the point where I would just like stick my hands through the shower curtain and like feel grab her head (laughs) and just make sure it was under the water and rinsing. You know what I mean? And like try to go by feel. I don't do that anymore. She's gotten much better. And now she's like into showering more. So even if she's, it's a miss one day, she kind of gets it the next day. And I'm talking hair, like hair has been the biggest thing. You know, I told you my 
boys for quite some time were shampooing with conditioner. And I was yeah. like, why do you always look, you look like a beaver pelt. Like your <laughs> hair doesn't look like hair. And it was because they were not using products correctly. And so anyway, I would say that the smelly part just comes with it. a lot of that's also biological and you can't yeah. control it. The bad hygiene um, is often true up until a point where they become obsessive about good hygiene. In my mm -hmm. experience, like they're really, really bad at it until they get interested in romantic partners or they realize people are looking at them or they figure it out. They get organized enough to know the difference between shampoo and conditioner mm -hmm. or they remember to wash their armpits or whatever it is. Um, so those things also have a shelf life, but I would say that one's pretty much true. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure as a parent, it's a little tricky, just like everything is tricky of like when to say something helpful or pick a very safe yeah. moment to just sort of in a very like arm's length way, be like, Hey, I put some new deodorant in your bathroom, like, and like not make eye contact and walk away versus like, let them, I don't know, like let them, let their friend you know, tell them like, dude, you stink today. Like, you know, it's, it's like, how yeah. much nor normally I don't have a problem not overprotecting my kids. That's not really something I struggle with, but I can see how with something like this, where it's like, Oh, if you just, your hair doesn't have to be that greasy. Like if, but I don't, is it, do I say something? Yeah. I have to be really, I have to be really honest that I pull no punches when it comes to this stuff, because if like, if their friend has to be the one to say it, like I'm the best friend they've got. They might not see it that way, but like <laughs> if my kid stinks, I will say you stink. Go put shower, yeah. go put deodorant on. Like do you, you need a shower today. Good day to take a shower. Like yeah. I have, I have just been very, very straightforward about it because I feel like that's not something, um, I don't think it's helpful to dance around that with them. Just like I would still tell them, if they, if their teeth look mossy, I would still yeah. tell them even at 14 to go brush yeah. your teeth. Like, so I, I, and I know everyone's got a different comfort level with that, but like, I wouldn't, it's not about protecting them necessarily. It's like, we're all in this family together, man. You know, right? like, yeah, go, go take care of your person. This is what needs to happen. Or I remember when I was, when I discovered the conditioner thing, I was finally like, there's no way you've been washing your hair. And then I finally said, go get me the bottle. And so the kid, I'm not going to name names, brought me the bottle. I'm like, read the bottle, read the, and they're like, well, it clearly says fructis or whatever the brand was. And I'm like, read the part below that <laughs> conditioner. I'm like, is this what you've been washing your hair with? Yep. Do you think you wash your hair with conditioner? Probably not. Okay. So okay. sometimes if you have a really sensitive kid or one that would be really offended by that, maybe it would be different, but mine all seem to kind of take it in stride. I think they just need a lot of guidance and yeah. I could only give it to them if I was honest. Um, they also all get uh, shampoo and conditioner and deodorant and toothbrushes and toothpaste um, in their Easter baskets and their stockings, their Christmas stockings. Yeah. And that's one way that I can easily see if they're being used. Mm -hmm. So if I know that roughly twice a year they get fresh supplies, then that tells me if I go in and like all their deodorant sticks are, you know, you know, totally fresh and don't look used. Like I kind of know it helps me keep an eye on the supply. It reminds them I'm watching. I don't know. It, I'm not controlling about it. I don't yeah. think, but no. nobody wants to, no one wants the stinky, the stinkies. 
Yes. In and the especially house. with you with four, there is no right. allowing. There's for- no room. There's no allowance <laughs> for that. Yep. I love it. Okay. One more before our break. And this is totally on the other end of the spectrum because we're not talking about stinkiness anymore, but, um, teenagers and their friends, the friends become all important. And this maybe is a corollary to not wanting to spend time with the family, but, um, I have read and heard that this is of course, developmentally important that peers and the relationship with peers and like spending time with their peers just becomes sort of the, at the top of the pyramid of needs of social needs. So I just would love to hear like how that has played out, if that has been true and anything else you've noticed. So I would say that that in my experience has been sometimes true. It really depends on the kid and there's extremes always where they become so important that it's annoying. Like, come on, you know, you can make some time for us. There's also been a couple kids in my family um, where that's not really been true much at all. And that as a very relationship oriented person has sometimes been concerning to me. Like, why don't they care more about their friends? Like, why don't they care more about having a group of friends? And I know we're going to dig into this more um, a little bit later when we talk about like the things that concern me about, you know, my kids and stuff and like not projecting too much because at that age, my friends were all important. My friends were my life. And so it's sometimes hard for me to allow my teens to be different from the way I remember being as a teen, because it's not that long ago and I remember it really well. So I guess I would just give that one a, a, a very developmentally normal, sometimes true, often true, but to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also was a teenager for whom my friends were, you know, truly like transformative. And, and some of my best friends are from those formative years. Um, I know we have a lot of listeners who worry about friendships in the like, I will say like upper elementary, middle grade and upper elementary. And I keep reading, I can't remember where I saw this or heard this recently, but I keep reading and hearing over and over again from very trusted experts that those friendship changes that happen in those younger years are not only not concerning, they're actually really necessary and good as kids practice making a friend, losing a friend, breaking up with a friend, including a new friend in a group. Like, breaking up at the circle, moving away, moving to a new town. Like these things that we wring our hands over socially in the younger years are actually like so important. Um, but that, but that by 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, 16, like some of those friendships really are like becoming lifers in a way. And that was certainly yeah. my, my experience. Um, I had lots of elementary school friends, a few that I still like feel like, oh, that was a sweet friendship. But like the, the lifers for me started at about age 14 for me, a couple of them are younger. So they were like 13. Um, and then by 15, 16, like, yeah, locked in. So I, I'm, I'm thankful that it worked out okay for me. I can see how it would be really hard if your kid didn't, you know, have that kind of like typical trajectory with relationships. Yeah. And I just to, you know, validate that point, like I only remember one person from my elementary school years that I'm still connected with. And that's because of Facebook and we're not close. We just know each other on Facebook. Right. Um, and the friendships, even I would even say it wasn't the friend until the friendships that solidified like junior and senior year. Those are the ones who have stuck. Mm -hmm. I had other friendships like eighth, ninth and 10th grades that I'm not even sure I can remember the people's last names. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it really, there is something about that time of life where 
things just get more intense, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Like, and you really start to solidify what you're looking for in people and why you're connecting with people. And it is hard when you're watching your fourth grader say, go through something, not to think, not to be able to see how that's going to kind of, I don't know, fall by the wayside. Like it's really yeah. hard to see that, but, but it's so much of it does. Yeah. And maybe that's encouraging for those who like to remember you, your kid has lots of time, even if right. they're in the early middle school years, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, like you said, that's still a time of a lot of identity shifting and, and social shifting. And, um, so that it's, they don't need to have the same bestie, you know, from third grade on. And, and in fact, well, it's very unlikely that they will. I've watched my three older boys try to counsel Owen, um, who's a ninth grader about friendships and they all unit like unanimously will say your eighth grade friendships are going to change. Like, like the, it's like, kind of cute to watch them like try to school him on this stuff, but like none of that really matters kind of like, it's mm -hmm. all going to change anyway. Don't get too used to it. And, Aww. um, and looking back for me, that was completely true. Things yeah, really did too. shift a lot from eighth to ninth to 10th grade and beyond. Me so. too. Me too. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, before we dive back into these generalizations, Megan, I just have kind of, I have a question I'm genuinely curious about. And it, it goes back to what we were saying that the teenage years is, is a long time span. If you're talking, you know, 13 to 19 or 13 to 18 or whatever. I was thinking about um, toddlers and preschoolers and you and I talk a lot about that age group on the show. And like, if you, if you gave me an age range of say one to four or one to five, I could easily pinpoint some characteristics of one-year-olds that are very different from three-year-olds that are very different from four and a half, five-year-olds, even though we can lump all of that into yeah. kind of toddlers and preschoolers. I'm curious with teenagers, like, I don't even know, I haven't read the books on this, but like, do you think there are some behaviors or phases that are uniquely 13-y, for example, that are very different from 15-y and very different from 17-y or as we talked about earlier, kids kind of hop on the developmental puberty train at different times. Is it more like there's an arc that's relatively repeated and, and the, the age at which they hop on that arc might be 11 or 14, but then once they're on it, it's more that they're going to follow that trajectory. Does that make sense? I'm so curious if there is like a 13-ness that I, that is yeah. unique. I'm so curious. Mm, no, <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, I'm sure like if we started, if we made like a big list of all the things that happened to teenagers and like I was asked to plot on a timeline uh -huh. when those things have happened to all of my kids and then find the commonalities, I probably would find some like armpit uh -huh. hair or like zits or um, 
school drama with friends right. or things First like that. boyfriend, girlfriend, First, yeah, significant. But even that yeah. stuff, it all plays out so differently. Yeah. And I mean, I had kids who never had any kind of romantic relationship that I ever saw throughout high school. And then I've had others who've had their first boyfriend or girlfriend in sixth grade. Like mm-hmm. it, all that stuff it, again, some of it is the privateness of a teenager and the fact that you don't have the inside window to things quite the same way anymore. And if they want to conceal something from you, they can, um, and will. And so like some kids are just really out there with their personalities and their drama. And like, like we joked about Will telling me, I'm just, I'm emotional right now. Okay. I've got (laughs) hormones. All right. Had he not said it that way, it would have just looked like a kid being kind of quiet at dinner. Uh It was him telling me that that was what was going on that made it so noticeable. And not all kids do that. Um, I would say there are some commonalities. Like I would say seventh grade has been tough on all of my kids academically is that because of how old they are, or is it seventh grade? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I mentioned earlier that 15 freshman year has been kind of miserable for all of my boys. Uh, Maybe Will was the only one who kind of played that out differently. I feel like 10th grade was more miserable for him, but you know what I mean? Like just, Mm -hmm. they all kind of have that time when they socially or the things aren't going with girls the way they want them to be or whatever is happening. It's just, it's, you know, I've also heard that, um, boys are later, like I said, later bloomers to grumpiness and that girls kind of go through that in middle school more so than high mm-hmm. school. I don't know if that's necessarily true across the board. It's just what I've heard. It's the way it has played out with my boys. I'm not sure how it'll play out with Clara. Um, I just think each kid is coming more into their own personality and it does make it does make that trajectory just so much more individualized mm-hmm. and they've learned again how to not show what they don't want to show. And that yeah. to me, I think is the biggest factor that changes things that like they, they're more, way more in control. Even if they seem out of control of their emotions, they are still more in control of how they display those emotions than sure. a three-year-old. Yes. So, yeah, um, it's so interesting. And I'm just thinking also how how multifaceted all of these changes are like you can. And, and it probably makes it hard for like moms to bond over having like moms can bond over having a two year old. There's like a lot on the right. surface where it's like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. And of course, there are differences, um, but it, it does make it hard for harder for moms to bond over having a 13 year old because you can have a 13 year old who is physically very like advanced in their development, yeah. but maybe like not at all, like going through social drama or boy drama or, you know, struggling academically, or you could have the reverse. Like it's just so multifaceted that I think as parents, it can be a little bit lonelier because there's not as much comparison. Like, Oh, like, are you starting solids? Are you dropping a nap? Right. Like it just, it's, um, a little more private, nuanced, complicated, and like spread over a longer time period. So. Well, I think that the teen years are very lonely for moms for lots and lots of reasons. And just like you just said, it is spread out. It's more nuanced. Um, It's not only more private because the child is more private, but it's more private because everything that the child does feels more private. It's not really your business to, you know, to spread it around anymore quite the same way you might casually talk about. Like, so say you're at a play group right now with your your two-year-old and your friend's two-year-old. And your two-year-old's having a tantrum right in front of you. 
And you can turn to the other mom and say, yeah, she does that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Two-year-olds, right? Yeah. Well, that's not the way it plays out with the 14-year-old. Yeah. The 14-year-old is having their tantrum by going in their bedroom and, and putting their earbuds in and ignoring you. Um, and no one sees that. Yeah. And if you talk about it, it's embarrassing because you feel like it, it, you feel like you've had all these years to get things under control and why are things going off the rails? I think teenage, I would actually say the teen years are probably the loneliest years of parenting. There's, it's really hard mm -hmm. to talk about what's happening honestly with people. And especially when your friends don't have teens yet, um, whether it's real or just perceived, there is this feeling like they're going to judge if I do things like, cause you can't, you can't even imagine the, um, the compromises you might be willing to make when your kid's 16. And I remember very clearly when like my sister had her kids were all teens way before mine and thinking, well, I would never let my 16 year old do that. Yeah. And guess what? I let <laughs> my 16 year old do a lot of the same things because you just don't know what you would do until you're in that situation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's bust a few more myths or not. Okay. Um, how about this one? Teenagers are risk takers and or do dumb stuff all the time. And I didn't write stuff. I wrote another word that starts with S in our outline. <laughs> that is actually four letters. Um, I just said sometimes true. Like I would say they always do dumb stuff. That's just across the board true of most of us, but especially like anyone who's not fully matured yet does dumb stuff. I don't think they're all risk takers. I think that's mm. very individual and very personality driven. Um, so you don't have to worry that your kid, like I remember being a teenager who was terrified if my friends drove too fast. Mm -hmm. I never had any interest in doing scary things. It, that was just not me. Um, I still did dumb stuff, yeah. but just dumb stuff that didn't feel risky to me. It wasn't physically yeah. risky, but it was maybe emotionally risky or, you know, just risky in a different way. So um, I would say that the level to which that is true is kind of, uh, proportionate to the level it will be true through the rest of their life, depending on their personality. Right. Like risk takers are risk takers and it's just exacerbated in those teenage right. years. Yeah. That makes yep. sense. How about this one? Their bedrooms are disgusting. I'm going to say yes. A hundred percent of the not even teenagers in my house have disgusting bedrooms. So I'm going to give that a sometimes because mm -hmm. I have had a couple kids who have extremely Spartan bedrooms. They just don't have anything like in them. They don't. Clara's bedroom is actually the far by far the most disgusting in our house. And she's not a teenager yet. And her room has always been disgusting. She can't keep it under control. So I also have Owen who barely has anything. He's got like two neat stacks of clothes and his computer and his bed and his like little stack of books in his backpack. There's like, there's nothing in there. There's, mm -hmm. and he doesn't bring food into his room. I do catch Will with food in his room, but Will's pretty neat. Um, like he'll keep up with it, but for, it gets kind of bad for a few days, but like it really, I feel again, this is one of those things that is, uh, inborn to be a hoarder or not to be someone who's comfortable in sloth or not. Mm -hmm. And then it's exacerbated by like where they are, like what stage they're at in life. Are they in a stage of life in life where they're a little disorganized and there's a lot of stuff coming into their house all the time because they're at school and they're bringing home papers or notes from friends and paraphernalia from stuff. Like, are they overwhelmed by life? I think mm -hmm. sometimes when 
my not normally messy kids suddenly have a messy room, it's because they're overwhelmed in some other way. So mm. I would just give that a, a sometimes, but you probably yeah. won't find that to be universally true with all three of your kids throughout That's their true. entire teenage life. You know? That's true. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, this is a little related to the risk taking and the dumb stuff, but I think it's possibly, it has a different emotional um, lens to look at it through. And that is that teen- teenagers are hardwired to rebel, or maybe even we could substitute rebel is just like, go the opposite direction of whatever you want them to do, you know? And that was more, that was more me. Like, I think I had a more emotionally rebellious teenage years than actually doing anything that broke the law or broke the rules. It was more of like that when you push magnets together that are flipped over and they just go the opposite way. So that, how, how has that played out? I think that's mostly always true in some way. Yeah. I said often true when you asked me the question, but when you, when you put it that way, um, if, if the whole meaning of the question is to do their own thing, to assert themselves as their own person, independent of what their parents think, then I would say always true. That literally is their biological imperative in the teen years. It reminds me of the show family ties with Michael J. Fox, where, Mm -hmm as you I'm sure know, but our younger listeners probably maybe didn't watch the show. Um, his parents were hippies and he was like a Reagan Republican Yes, yes, totally. who wore a suit jacket and tie every day. And that was the funny part. Like that was what made it so funny. Like he was rebelling against his parents by being super conservative. Right. Right. And not, and super square. Um, so yeah, like every generation rejects the cult, the, the cultural norms of the generation before it that's been happening since the very beginning of time. And then, you know, the older generation will always wring their hands about it. Like you can go back and like read literature from like the 1800s when parents thought kids read too much, Uh (laughs) you know, I mean, it's just like, yeah, they have their, they always have their nose in a book. Okay. Like we would love our kids to have their noses in books now. So it's just, it's, it's all culture. Like you have to put it all in context. So I would say, it's not it. They are literally hardwired to do that because that's how they actually establish themselves as their own self-actualized human beings. And yeah. um, it doesn't always look like wearing, you know, leather jackets. Well, what would be the new gen? <laughs> that's totally a data reference to like, what would be the new thing? I I mean, smoke smoking the reefer. Yeah, I don't think that's a new thing. They'd smoking probably be the like- reefer and not they'd probably be like not smoking the reefer. Yeah. They'd probably be like, yeah coming out against it or something. I don't know. It's just whatever parents do, kids are in some way going to find ways to push back against that. I I was never outwardly rebellious ever, but certainly I found passive aggressive ways to be rebellious Mm -hmm. all the time. So, Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, last one. And that is that teenagers are obsessed with their phones. I would say that's pretty true. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like, my kids, my older two never really got into texting, never really used their phones, but they just grew up in a time when smartphones have had not been around that long. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't like, I don't know. So Jacob was born in 97, Isaac in 99. They didn't get phones until they were in their teens like 13, 14, 15. And I think they were very simple phones at first. So they just never really got used to that being part of their culture. Um, And even things like 
Snapchat and things like that really didn't become a thing until they were older. So I think that the reasons they're obsessed with their phones may be very different from kid to kids. Some kids are really into social media. Some kids are just like really into connecting with their friends. Some kids are just can't be like disconnected from the world that long. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, yeah, but maybe not any more obsessed with their phones than we adults are question mark. Right. I'm just going to leave that there. Like they may have more time on their hands and more people to talk to. And the platforms that they're on, I think maybe are a bit, feel a bit more immediate. I think that's the harder thing for me is that they truly don't feel like they can put their phones down because, because of that feeling like they might miss something or something. Yeah. Right. Or someone might be mad at them if they leave them unread. I think Mm. as adults, we've kind of learned to not, um, because it's all, it's assumed that we all have our own families and lives and careers and things going on and that you're not at the beck and call of your internet friends. And I don't think teenagers aren't there yet, but I wouldn't say that makes us like superior in the way we use our phones. It's just different. Did you watch the movie, The Social Dilemma? No, I would like to. Did you? I just watched it a few nights ago. Yeah. Did you like it? I did. I did. Um, I felt like it was a little long and repetitive. Like they could have probably made it an hour, but the way they talked about um, kids, well, just how like manipulative the, the platforms that we use mm-hmm. and how that particularly affects teenagers and preteens and the way they feel about themselves and the way they feel they have to be connected and, and how easily they can be duped by things or like pulled into dubious movements and things I found very um, compelling. So mm-hmm. I would recommend yeah. watching it. Yeah. yeah. That's part of my syllabus, my entry, my entry into intro yeah. to teenage parenting syllabus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. It's one, it's it. one of your, it's your required viewing. Yes. I love it. Um, okay. Well, before we wrap, I just thought we could um, touch on well, from your perspective, maybe things about teenage parenting that you don't see discussed as much as you think they should be discussed. And I'd love to hear on both like the positive and the, the hard side. So first yeah. let's start with the positive. So what are some awesome things about teenagers that you don't see talked about enough out in the world? So I think that teenagers are so funny. Like they've got so much of their brain power <laughs> and space available to dedicate to <laughs> being clever. And they're so clever. Like, I just think that they're hilarious and I have so much fun talking to teenagers. Um, I also think they are very caring and they, they get a bad rap for being really self-absorbed and they are, they are actually are very self-absorbed, but they, because they have time, they can sort of magically balance being self-absorbed with being very caring. Mm. Um, and it somehow creates a loop, like a feedback loop where they mm-hmm. could be both at the same time. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense the way that I'm describing it, but I just think that there is this, they do have this ability to really care deeply about people and things. And it just sometimes aren't, sometimes they don't care about the things we want them to care about. Right. That's the trickiness. That's the part where it gets hard. And we'll talk about that in a bit here um, in the hard part <laughs> section, but um, they they can be very caring and very empathetic and very entertaining. And, you know, I have before had to kind of put a teen in this place and say like, especially I've had certain teenagers who have been very stubborn and obstinate and just seem like they believe they know everything. Yeah. And actually sometimes I think 
what sounds like a statement coming out of their mouths is actually a question. That's something I've kind of had to like reframe for myself. Like, why is this kid of mine so obstinate? And why do they always say they know, like, why do they say this like a statement of fact? It's not a statement of fact, but the fact that they're saying it to me means they might think I know better or that I know something that they don't know. Like they're lobbing Um, a ball up in the air to kind of see if you like swat it down, if you catch it. It's like, where will this land? Interesting. And you have to be kind of tactful sometimes and be like, well, okay, that's one way to look at it. But what about this? And that's led to some really good conversations. So I would just say the other thing is that kids, um, teenagers actually know a lot more about the world than we always give them credit for. And they're really smart and means sometimes so much smarter than us. So it, it, it makes me really think about the way I communicate with my kids and I have to remember that they know a lot about current events, whether I talk about them or not. Mm-hmm. If I don't talk about them, it's, and this is something for me, I have to be like way, I feel convicted to be more proactive about because I often, if I'm not in the mood to talk about something or I don't feel like I have the answers yet, I often will defer to just not talking about it or default to because I feel like I'm not going to make things better if I don't have like a prepared statement or something. Yeah. And what I need to remind myself is that they already know. They know every social, you know, justice issue that's happening right now. They know every headline, all of that stuff. It's all on their radar more probably than it is for me. Like I probably have more ability to turn it off than they do because they're just Mm -hmm. more, they're more immersed in the world of um, social media than I am. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I've started, like, I have a gatekeeper now that I've employed to keep me kind of removed from news until I want to absorb it. And I think they're absorbing it all the time. So by me not talking about something, I have made it almost like a decision for them to generate opinions based on what other people are saying. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. I can't address every single thing, but that does mean if it's something that's important to me, I should probably say something sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of a rambling way to answer your question, but those are, no, those are all I awesome things about teenagers. Yeah. I love it. When you were talking about how caring they can be, I was thinking back to, um, you're so right that they have more time. They don't, they're not full-time employed, most of them. Right. Um, and they have more time and mental energy and youth. And I remember doing things like making gifts for every member of a cast in a production. Yep. Um, and like, like, tying ribbons around individual roses on opening night for a show, like very thoughtful, um, gift giving things. And like, you know, remember, well, in, in the in the romances that were like part of my life or my friends' lives, there was a lot of like, I mean, well, now you see it with like promposals and like things yeah. like kids getting very, um, you know, and you can kind of roll your eyes at it if you want, but really it's showing time and energy to put yeah. into something really thoughtful and then kids getting involved in social justice issues. And so you're right. The, the time on their hands combined with compassion and caring, it might not be like, I wasn't very nice to my family, my nuclear family, but I had a lot of love to give to my besties and my boyfriend, you know? Yeah. Well, right. It's all like, where are they going to choose to like, funnel that. And it might not always be you. And I think sometimes we have to take that a little less personally, because again, it's very developmentally and biologically appropriate, but that's where they're putting their energy. Um, and they just can be less, like they can seem ultimately distracted because they have so much going on, you know, with, with their, you know, 
multiple message threads and all these things they have. But that's not that different, really, from what I had going on at that age. I had a, I had friend groups that were the dynamics of those friend groups were so delicate and um, nuanced, where like certain friend circles could not cross over certain yeah. other friend cir- circles, or like there would be the one person who couldn't cross over because it would be a mess. Like you, yeah. and I know like that's something that a lot of us can relate to, like when. When we had the time for friendships to be more complicated, um, where you could literally have a friend who would, you could only hang out with in one group, but you could never cross over because it was like oil and water. Yeah. Now in my adult life, I don't have time for that nonsense. I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't be friends with that person, honestly. Like it just would be like, never mind. But teenagers will try it out. They'll they'll yeah. give it the old college try, right? Because they'll be like, well, that's what their whole life is about at that point is like putting in that effort. And I mean, and it's funny, like William and I were just talking earlier today. He just said he's feeling really, um, he's feeling really, what was the word? Overextended, I think, or, or spread too thin. And it turns out it's because he's got two friends who dated for a long time and then broke up and they both consider him mm-hmm. their best friends. And so he's now caught in the middle. I'm like, well, how much time do you, have you spent? <laughs> navigating he's like mom so much time like it's just constant and I was like okay well I mean again you don't have to do that that's not your job but like he's kind of looking at me like it's not like of course that's my job and yeah so it's you know that's and that's talking about the I know you wanted me to talk about the harder raw things but I'll just yeah, segue go, right just into go that in, yeah go into that yeah because I think that it's really hard for for me and my 43 year old adult brain to be sitting here thinking I know what they should do yeah um, and then realizing that what I think they should do maybe isn't the thing they actually believe is the best thing to do or the thing that in their teenage world would be the the best thing. Like right now, it's easy for me to be like right now, like you won't even be friends with those people in four years anyway. So who cares? Dump them now, you know, set a boundary. But he's thinking like, well, what's my life going to be like today mm-hmm. or tomorrow? Like, and, and maybe he's, you know, he's not wrong. He's maybe not right in the long-term, you know, three decades down the road trajectory, but he's also not wrong. So those are things like thinking, okay, I do know, I do have the wisdom of adulthood, but I don't know everything, turns out. And part of being a teenager, becoming an adult is, is having agency and learning how to use that agency. So you have to make these like suggestions and then like kind of let them land and then let the kid decide what they're going to do. And that can be really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and along those same lines, just knowing that there are ways that all of my kids, they're all so different and you watch their differences play out and you think, oh man, you're making this so much harder for yourself, but you can't <laughs> solve that for them. You really can't. You can, you can, again, suggest um, other options and other ways of doing things, but you can't actually fix it. And that is really, really hard. Um, and then I guess finally, I would just say I was very social as a teenager. It was really the, sometimes to a negative degree, really this, the, um, hub of my life, the center point of my life were my friendships. And so I really struggle with watching my kids if they have loneliness or social struggles. And sometimes I have to remind myself that it's not as all important for all kids and that every kid has to struggle with that. That's like part of what they do. Like that's part of 
a teenager's life is to find and lose friends and, you know, shift your groups around and figure out what's important to you and all that stuff. And, and I also have this, I guess, like, I can kind of almost have a blase attitude about almost anything else. Like your zits, eh, they'll clear up and yeah, you didn't get a good grade on that test. It's fine. We'll figure it out. But I personally, because relationships are so important to me, I have a really hard time putting those in their proper place sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like I was at the grocery store last week and saw a group of kids that were once best friends with one of my kids. I'm not going to say who. And really like in a kind of a nasty way dumped him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted to go punch them all. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to punch them right in the face. So (laughs) I didn't though. I didn't didn't even like confront them, but like I was personally affronted passing Mm -hmm. this this group of Mm -hmm. kids and I was just so mad at them. And I was like, that's silly. Like, and I don't, of course I didn't understandable though. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't even shoot him dirty looks. That's so adult I didn't do anything. I did not pick up a watermelon and hurl it that at them or pelt them with tomatoes. Nothing. I didn't do anything at all. But I had this little rage moment yeah. where I was just so mad. Like, why were you so mean? Yeah. To my yeah. to my guy, you know? Yeah. And so like, yeah. Anyway, I think that those the thing I think that was the most important to you at that age, it's easy to project that that's going to be the most important thing to your kids or that you have the answers. And that's not always true. And not having the answers is probably like, if I had to sum up the heart, what's hard about teen parenting, not having the answers is yeah. it. But isn't that kind of all parenting? All the parenting. hardest thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, do I feel more prepared? I do actually. Gosh, I, I hope so. Okay. I love this conversation. <laughs> I would love if any listeners, we do have lots of listeners with teenagers. We, we sometimes make it sound like, all of you listening have little tiny kids, but that's not actually true. And we love our listeners whose kids are tweens and teens because we feel solidarity with you. So if anyone else wants to email hello at the momhour.com or find us on social and give me more, I don't know, advice or just solidarity and welcome me to the club, I would love to hear from you. That would be really fun. Um, and Megan, just thank you for all your all your wisdom. I will continue to to tap into it I'm not going anywhere you're welcome (laughs) I was just thinking though like I did buy some tomatoes and they've been like you know kind of getting soft in my fridge and maybe I could go throw them at kids on like those kids if I could find them you you could just like I would go ultimately teenager on them yeah yeah. yeah. And they would have no, you just do it like from like underneath a car or something. They would have no idea. They'd have no like, idea. And they would never pin it on ever. Like no one would ever say that mom threw tomatoes at you. <laughs> you could to- toilet paper their house in the middle of the night. That's, that's, peak. yeah, but that's like, that's like a popularity thing, I think now. Oh, I think it's like right. a, it's like a badge of honor to get TB. So I wouldn't that, want to. You're do right. That. You're right. That no. was a mixed message. See, <laughs> yeah, I still have so much to learn. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And we do have a More Than Mom episode coming up on Sunday this week. So look out for that. And Megan, this was fun. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment. And it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack. And I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. 
I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.